So, should we start, like, pretending like we're doing a podcast at this yeah, point? Yeah, we might as well. Um, hello. Hi! <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah. Welcome okay. back to Trunk Monkey's Logcasting, a Twin Peaks watch-through video cast now, because we're in quarantine and it seemed fun to do. <laughs> We've taken a long hiatus, but we're finally a little bit back, which is nice. So. We're a little bit back. We're sort of back. We're getting back to it eventually. So, um, I'm Colleen Carney Hefner. I'm the editor-in-chief of Drunk Monkeys. I'm Chris Pruitt. I'm the managing editor at Drunk Monkeys. Um, and we're going to jump right into Season one, and, episode six. Well, we also have our friend visiting from the red room over here. Oh, so. right. Yes, yeah. I wasn't Editor sure. Matt. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if he wanted to introduce himself since people can see him. It's it's an awkward think, thing for sure. Yeah. Maybe I'll mute my video and just disappear for a while because I'm usually in the background and just kind of pop up at the end. Ooh. Well, well, oh. maybe not because on my end, I'm recording with the three heads. And you're recording with the speaker view so that we will have different video to work with. But if you mute your video, you're just going to be like a black box that says Matt the entire that's time. <laughs> which, which, honestly, that's kind of funny, but... <laughs> so mysterious. Who is Matt? What, what does is it the mean? Of Matt? What did what does it mean? mean? Look, 40 years and I'll be fucked if I know, so... <laughs> oh, Colleen... This is important for both <laughs> you and for the audience at home. To Excellent. <laughs> if you have paid attention to Drunk Monkeys at all, you will know that we are big Vanderpump Rules fans, which means we are big references to Vanderpump Rules fans. And Chris's Sorry Fofty shirt. Sorry Fofty t-shirt. <laughs> and as you know, the Venn diagram of Vanderpump Rules fans and Twin Peaks fans is like pretty <laughs> much a circle. Single. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a single <laughs> circle. <laughs> no, no overlap. Or no, no part that isn't overlapping. Really. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to discuss today, season one, episode six, which is called Cooper's Dreams, which is a dumb name for this episode, as we'll get to. I'm also going to be tweeting from our social media account on Twitter. You can follow us along because we have some choice screen grabs from this episode that I think everyone needs to look at, at TP Logcasting, if you want to follow us. And I think maybe when we upload this, it'll be on the, what, oh, we'll use one of the Drunk Buckies email accounts to create a YouTube account. Hey, <laughs> we'll have a Drunk Buckies YouTube page, maybe. And we'll link to that as well. Oh, we do? Yeah, I think yeah. we do. Yeah, I think yeah. Wonderful. Then we'll upload it. To Which the I think has like, you know, thir- uh, 10-year-old videos of, you know, uh, spoken word performances, because we did that for a split second. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. It'll be that, and then a gap of 10 years, and then an awkward twin <laughs> Very strange. <laughs> All right. I think we should just jump right into it. All right. Um, one thing we talk about usually at the beginning of the episodes is we try to handle this material in a way we call spoiler light, which is to say we will try to avoid significant spoilers that come after the episode in question. Um, to a mild degree, it's impossible, but we make sure not to ruin the big things and try to talk about uh, the show in terms of what's happened so far. So if you're new, you're watching along with us, we're not going to jump ahead on any of the material. Right. 
So this episode opens up with Cooper waking up, being startled awake by chanting. And he immediately picks up his recording device and starts ranting to Diane that it is 428 in the morning and he needs a pair of earplugs sent to him immediately because he is pissed because these Icelandics have woken him up. We get we get some grumpy Cooper in this episode, which is not his default state of being, but I think it is pretty it is pretty choice to just decide, okay, he's tired in this episode, so he's not on his game. Like, right. he, he's sort of generally unflappable, but he spends the scene going, once a traveler leaves his home, he loses almost 100% of the control of his environment. He's very upset about it. He was like A personality. And he was the most stoked about being here. Like, one episode ago, two episodes ago, <laughs> the, the entire show. Literally up until this scene. And now he's like, never mind. I hate it. It's the worst. (laughs) Fucking trees. I can't stand them. (laughs) He runs Um, into Audrey. And she she awkwardly hits on him, which is just literally probably one of the worst things about the show. And he says he is tired and on edge and he does not want any of her BS. He doesn't say that, but implied that he doesn't want any of her BS. Uh, what he does say is Audrey's like, I got a job. And he goes, good for you. <laughs> Which is <laughs> super good dismissive 90s response to something. <laughs> then he says, how old are you? And she says, 18. And he goes, I'll see you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he well, he starts, start, they, they lampshade it even further because if you rewind a couple of lines, she goes, uh, he says something about when I was your age, this is typically a school day. And she says, I can't believe you were ever my age. And then he goes, right. how old are you? And then she says 18. He goes, I'll see like, you later. It's like, like they're, very, they're really lampshading this awful plot line that they eventually, well, they make some decisions about this later and we'll have much to discuss about it. But for now, it's like, way to like make a point of how gross this is right now. Right. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> We're just going to hammer home the fact that this is not an appropriate relationship. Right, yeah. While also making clear that it's legal. That's a studio. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's that's a studio note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, It's technically legal. Right, yeah. So don't worry. Somebody at the studio was like, can you have the Audrey Horn character look directly at the camera and go, I'm 18 years old. (laughs) I'm a driver's license. I'm I'm allowed. I mean, to be fair... It, it, Twin Peaks does have the thing going on where the teenagers all look like they're like 30. So <laughs> it's <laughs> at least from a real world perspective, it's not bad. But from an in plot perspective, it's it's really rough. <laughs> uh, um, all right. I, I wanted to point out here um, before we move beyond Coop waking up at the Great Northern that um, again, we'll come back to this title and why it's kind of inappropriate or ironic or whatever it is exactly. And I think we, I think Matt originally discovered that these are all like weird reverse translated titles from the the German DVD release or something. So maybe they're just bullshit anyway. (laughs) But um, I want to make a point that we know Coop gets his revelations and discoveries and clues in dreams. So it makes sense that he's pissy about not getting sleep because it's like, that's work he could be doing. <laughs> that's, that's I'm some, on a clock, is yeah, ending people. Yeah, this is divination that didn't happen this time around. So we, we really missed out on some good material, probably. 
<laughs> or at least Kip thinks so. <laughs> um, from here, we move on to a Jerry and Ben Horn scene um, that's heavily, heavily centered around a leg of lamb. Go for it, Chris. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about it. It's a typical Jerry uh, and Ben scene. Ben and Jerry scene. Um, and they, uh, it's just setting up some exposition with, oh, we have a new uh, Aryan people that are going to buy the Ghostwood Estates after we previously ch chased off a different one. The and, Norwegians uh, didn't work out, so we're moving towards to these landings to see yeah. how that goes. <laughs> yeah, we're going to try to get these guys to buy it. Um, Jerry, you know, is talking about how he's hitting on this woman. I wonder if we'll get back to that. Uh, he has this giant leg of lamb that he's waving around like it's some kind of baton or weapon or something. It's it's garlic, fresh mint, rotisserie, heaven. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing that David Lynch loves more than to put an extremely stupid prop into his actors' hands and let them do just whatever the fuck they want with it for the entire scene. And Jerry is usually the guy on the job, whether it's the baguette, the leg of lamb, the whatever. Um, we get the actual important substance in the scene is when Leland comes in, just like basically in his pajamas and looking all kinds of ultra frazzled, which makes sense at this point. And we saw him having repeated meltdowns in public before in the, in the last episode. Um, he shows up and he's like, oh, I heard, I heard there's people, you're trying to sell the thing again. They're like, no, like, don't, we got this. We don't need our lawyer to sell this multi-million dollar property. You. Like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. He's like, no, I need, I need to be doing work right now. And he says, I want to work. Yeah. And he says, I'm afraid, which is so sad. Yeah. But, and he says in particular, Ben is like, no, just go, like, be like a normal person and take a vacation or something. Get away. Like, get out of here. And uh, Leland, he, he specifically says, why don't you take Sarah out of that house? And Leland says, I'm afraid to, which is interesting to note. We'll keep yeah. talking about that forever and ever and ever and ever. And someday That's in very three, we'll, have a lot, we'll have a lot more to say about it. Um, but right now, it's yet another uh, drawing attention to the association of Sarah Palmer and the house. Um, I meant I meant to get a screenshot here and I forgot, but there's an amazing that. Oh no wait, that actually might be in the next scene. I wrote Fritz clown painting. I, actually I think it might be in the next scene when they're at the jock thing. Never mind to ignore yeah, yeah. but also I did not get a screenshot of it. So maybe I will afterwards. <laughs> I'm just wherever, I'm wherever foreshadowing my mistake. <laughs> so um, there is a clown painting coming up, but I think it's in the next scene. Never mind. Um, do we me. want? Do we want to move on to Jacques' apartment here? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole the whole Ben and Jerry scene is basically just to show that they're trying to do this ghostwood estate thing, and that uh, Leland is still a fucking mess. Yeah, like, there's really not a lot happening here an exposition moment. So we pop over to a uh, police procedural moment over at the uh, at the Renault apartment. Uh, these scenes are always funny to me because like whenever they're at the police station, it's like there's basically three cops. Like <laughs> there's Harry, there's Hawk, there's Andy, uh, and that's basically it. And then whenever they're at the crime scene, there's like 
50 random like <laughs> extras that are no-name dudes. Like I remember in one of these scenes, they, they actually refer to one of them by name and it's like, oh, Sean, can you hold this for me? It's like, who the hell is Sean? Like, yeah, where did you come from? <laughs> where are all these extra cops that they never have with them when they're doing things like, we're going to charge in to <laughs> this unknown area? <laughs> with our firearms drawn or stake out a place for somebody. They always like, oh, we only have two guys. <laughs> I just a, a dumb television show thing that never this, ceases to amuse me. This scene this is the scene. There's a clown painting on the wall. I'll get the screenshot. It rules. I want it. Um this scene is is funny for a couple reasons. One being Cooper is is pissy as hell. He like yeah. He does a donut, and he's like all pissed off about it or whatever. He puts it back in. The, he takes a bite out of it and puts it back in his yeah. hands. <laughs> and then he's like, um, and then they're like, the blood on the shirt is A B, and that's not Laura's blood. So like, what? And then Cooper is like, hold on a second, and rifles through the the drop ceiling. Like he's like, every crime scene has something in the drop ceiling, guys. Like, he acts like this is something that, that everyone knows. And it's just like, I mean, yeah, I guess, but like. Yeah. And then, like, we don't weird. even see it. It's just like he reaches up into nothing and pulls down the copy of Flesh World. Flesh World. <laughs> Flesh World's back, guys. Flesh World's back. It's the triumphant return of the Flesh World magazine, the yeah. sexiest porno mag in existence, <laughs> as, we've, as we've established since episode one. And And, uh, there's the ad in it, and they're like, that's Burnett. And then we go back to back in way back in the beginning of this podcast, we posited that well, we wondered if the Leo's truck ad in Flesh World that cuts into a scene is actually in the magazine or is just like a weird sort of editing thing that Lynch is trying out or whatever. But they're like, hey, here, look, it's Leo's truck in this ad. So it is in the magazine, but it's a different fucking picture. It's a different picture, despite the fact that it looks like it's supposed to be the same issue of the magazine, which is like, I again, like probably just a base continuity error thing, but like, it's just stupid. It's like, already this didn't make any sense. And now here it is again, except that the picture is different. And then they also still don't explain it again. They go, look, it, Leo's picture's in here. And then, zoom, we go on to other things. But they um, do some, is this the scene where they do some weird thing where they're like, yeah, like somebody calls them and does this and this and this. And I was like, I did not follow that at all. Yeah, so what Coop was saying, and this was my only theory about the Leo thing, is he says the magazine is a clearinghouse with the idea that like, if you're responding to these ads, you're always responding to the magazine. So you're, the paper trail never goes directly back to anybody the magazine receives it forwards on whatever so i guess the implication is that leo's in there because this has something to do with his drug running or something like that i guess but it still doesn't really make sense and they don't talk about it after they mention the leo thing so no. it just again it comes up and goes away i don't, I don't want to skip over this uh but Coop just casually commits mail fraud in this scene he like finds a letter on the thing and he's like let's take a look at what's in here, shall we? And then Harry smiles at him and then he like really makes a big deal of like opening up the thing and it's like, man, cops suck. <laughs> Even when they're Twin Peaks cops. Hey, Cap. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of who you are. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's just, 
And he also does that thing where he like kind of boops Harry's nose again. He's like, you're a good egg, Harry. Or like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, why do they have such a weird, like, kind of homoerotic relationship? Yeah. Like, that'll, I hope this doesn't awaken something in me. It does. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's get that. Too late. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. It's happening <laughs> so, with or anyway. without. So, yeah, um, that's that scene. Yeah. We cut from there. We, again, use the opportunity of mentioning the photo of Leo's house to cut to Leo's house. Which is so See that in there? Yeah, it's like every time It's like every time they have to cut to Leo's house, somebody's like, a picture of Leo's house! And then they cut to it or something. It's a really bizarre recurring theme. Well, it's weird, too, because it implies that his, in the first time the truck was there, it, like, segued into a picture of the truck. Yeah. but now like he's not even home so it's like he's not even home so we can just cut to the scene yeah it's it's really weird anyway we go there and it's bobby hanging out uh with shelly there and he's like he's like man can't wait for like leo to come home and fuck him up and he has like he has shelly's cute little girly silver oh, pistol and like is like doing a tough guy routine like oh leo you're home like like every like 12 year old who has a toy gun and it's like <laughs> um, yeah they, they like roll play like fun. leo yeah yeah i'm like, gonna Ew. shoot you like make me breakfast <laughs> and he does like a super shitty tough guy impression which actually feels pretty like good acting because it's like yeah bobby's not a tough guy he thinks he is but he's not like if it, it's a good choice like it, it really exposes him and if that wasn't enough uh then somebody knocks on the door literally right after they do, do this and bobby's move is to hide in the closet <laughs> he's like after like i'm gonna shoot leo oh leo's home <laughs> yeah they have this like this bizarre like sexual gunplay that i'm not yeah. Before. Also, yeah. it looks like they both took a shower just then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did like Shelly's robe in this scene. Yeah. Um, she's got the pro wrestler hair thing where she looks yeah, like she like, dumped her head in oil or something. It's like Jesse she came Spano. Out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, but Andy comes looking for Leo. Yeah, so it's not Leo, it's Andy at the door, which makes it even more hilarious that Bobby is hiding in the closet during this exchange. Um, yeah, I wrote gun is so unsexy. Now, I want to note something about this scene, which I told Chris about last night, and I did just tweet it. There is a plate on this wall, which is a hot dog serving plate. It has a wiener dog in the middle. And I said, I want that plate. That plate rules. And Fritz looked it up and found a blog about it. And I'm just going to read very quickly. Twin Peaks props. I've linked this on our Twitter, so you can go ahead and look Prop identification, hot dog serving platter. And the screen grab I posted also has her robe, which so you can see that I think it's really good. Notes, 21 inch diameter platter for serving hot dogs. The center of the platter has a wonderful long dachshund. Is that how you say it? Dachshund? Then, dachshund. then each of the recessed areas has an airbrush animated hot dog doing things. Snapping, dancing, stretching, and toasting something over a campfire. It is signed on the back, Lane and Company, 1958, Van Nuys, California, US T10. Special thanks to Sam Housett. I want this play. If like three followers we have listens to this and happens to know where I <laughs> please message me. I need I'm, it. It's so fun. We, we I want the hot dog plate. We need to get this person running the Twin Peaks uh, prop identification blog on our show. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to peruse this 
lost. I <laughs> dive into it because I just wanted to get the plate information out. Easily but. be a trove of information. Yeah, <laughs> we could have been using this the whole time and we didn't yeah. know. We could have gotten Josie's fuck room, probably. <laughs> oh my god, don't joke about that in front of me. <laughs> okay, so anyway, yeah, Andy comes and he's like, do you know where Leo is? And, and Shelly immediately says this, Leo, no, he's not home. Oh my god, is there any trouble? Andy, I'll tell you right away when he comes home. Like, very like, shut up. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. And, and Andy's like, well, you you better tell me because he's he's in big trouble. And she's like, oh, okay. And then, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Doesn't even so, ask what. That that's definitely gonna happen. And then once the big scary Andy leaves, uh, Bobby comes back out and is like, <laughs> yeah, tough guy stuff. Um, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we hop over to Big Ed's uh, gas station, and. Uh, Norma's there, of course. And she's like, hope you don't mind my coming, Ed. Isn't that the only gas station? Like, did she get to... Probably, yes. <laughs> uh, I like he goes, hey, good looking. And I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, they're really cute. This scene is really legit sad. Thank you for that, Matt, by the way. <laughs> You're welcome. For the viewers. Yeah. yeah, for the viewers at home. For the viewers, not the podcast audience. Sorry, but there you go. They can look at the Twitter. Yeah, true. Work for it. <laughs> um, we've got here. We've got this exchange between them, and basically, I don't know if you want to talk about this. I know this is a favorite subject matter. Yeah, uh, the Ed and Norma arc is like my favorite thing of the show, and um, Peggy Lipton is just so beautiful too. And it just every time I see her on the screen, I get scared. She's no, no longer with us, but yeah. Um, so they meet up and they're just so like in love with each other. And it's so sad because Ed basically breaks off their affair. He says, you know, Nadine's not well. And I wrote Dingus is coming home because I always forget her husband's name that's in jail. Oh, yeah. I always forget it. So I just wrote Dingus. <laughs> you always <laughs> like, forget it because his name is Hank. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. But, um, but he's like, you know, like we basically like we're both stuck in these like situations where like it's a real like dire straits for Romeo and Juliet like the just the, the time was wrong <laughs> like situation yeah. happening and it's just really sad because she's like I guess I'll never be happy and it's like oh my god why is this happening this is just the saddest thing yeah um, and and she frames it as like oh you're so afraid of hurting other people that we're never going to get to have our ending and like it's just really sad it's it's very corny and melodramatic like a lot of stuff on the show is by design but it's the emotional core of it is real enough that it really comes through in a way that some of the other material doesn't in i definitely like, can relate to it yeah, personally so it's yeah, like yeah. maybe that's why it means so much to me yeah but. no i mean and i wrote that it's legit sad because in a way that most of the other stuff that when it's sad it's like well it's so dramatic or it's so tied up in some of this other like pseudo mystical plot points that it's hard to really invest but I always feel invested in Ed and Norma it just feels like yeah. this little normal thing that's happening in as the rest of the world around us here goes out of control right uh it's very rooted in reality which I guess the, rest of the show kind of isn't yeah so it's yeah. Like, yeah yeah um, and, it, and it, it's not ironic in a way that a lot of the other soap opera stuff on the show often comes off yeah 
It's sad. It's a sad scene. We move quickly onto it uh, into another scene with Audrey and her hair is just garbage all the time. Always garbage. I don't understand. I understand like everyone loves Audrey. Like the fan base of the show loves Audrey. And she, to me, is like so fucking irritating. And one of the things that I'm the most irritated about is her hair all the time. Not that my hair is any great, but like, <laughs> like I don't know what I'm not on TV either though. Like, so whatever. Uh, but yeah, we we move on. This is her at her job interview at her father's store, uh, appropriately called Horns. Uh, it's a department store, and so she's speaking with like I don't know the guy who's like the manager or whatever, and um, he's like, well, you know, you don't really have work experience, so I can throw you into the the gift wrap department. She's like, God damn it, Emery. I'm not going to do, same as Emery. I'm not going to do fucking wrapping. I want perfume. And then um, he says that that's like a delicate customer relations section of the store, which obviously we know is like, that's where I'll be. All the goils of the night the, uh... <laughs> <laughs> happen to work. Uh, it's basically a big front for this like, Basic prostitution ring or whatever. But obviously um, he can't say that to Audrey and he doesn't know that she is in on it. So however irritating that Audrey is, she's right on in this scene. And right, she, she is. But then she's like, you're going to tell my dad I work in gift wrap and I'm going to be working in perfume or else basically I'm going to tell him you raped me. And yeah. he's like, oh shit. And I'm like, nice fake rape threat. I mean, like, I guess like, I guess like, yeah, it, it gets her where she needs to be for her. Like, weird like detective uh fantasy or whatever but like also like i'm just like oh fuck, i hate these kind of tropes or whatever yeah like i'm gonna I, rip my blouse and he's like oh shit okay you can work with her perfume that's fine honestly yeah. if i were him i'd be like i don't care if you want to like become a prostitute that's not my business <laughs> my problem well if but if dad's kind of daughter but or, or rather if if the boss's daughter gets involved in it like that's probably his ass like he doesn't know she suspects what's going on here already so right like yeah the whole thing is kind of a mess it's silly. i, I, it's I silly. wrote I wrote audrey is so shitty but so powerful <laughs> really that it. is the crux <laughs> Yeah. That is the crux of her power. She is yeah. just, she's so shitty, but you're still like... But she, in a way that almost none of the other characters on this show, including the hyper-competent ones, don't really get things done the way Audrey does. And it is interesting to see her as a character. She's Her competency almost outweighs her capacity to deal with the shit she uncovers. She like constantly propels herself into the action and then is totally unequipped to deal with the consequences, which is something we're going to see before this episode is even over. So I don't consider that a spoiler here at all. Um, let's see. We move from here to one of my favorite scenes in the show. Um, it's, you know, it's the usual thing with Donna and James where they've done some Scooby-Doo, sent a note in the middle of the night to meet up under some strangely unoccupied pagoda near a lake. <laughs> Like, uh, the whole thing is so bizarre. I'm Meet me at the one gazebo no one else goes Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm glad, I'm glad you got my note to come meet me here in the middle of the day <laughs> in public. Like, what? Like, why are they always sending notes? They never see each other and they say, hey, you want to meet up tomorrow at noon so we can talk about some shit? Like, they're always, like, sending yeah. notes? Yeah, they're like, sending how notes. How are they sending them? Yeah, and... Who like, delivers these notes? 
Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what's going on with that. And this scene is also sort of baffling to me in what it's supposed to accomplish. Like, I know what I get out of it, but I, I'm not <laughs> sure I understand, or I'm not sure that I'm getting out of it what they want me to. Basically, no, we're definitely not. We, we have this incredible bit of dialogue that James opens with here, where he says, he says, "I told you that my dad died when I was ten. He didn't die. He was a musician." <laughs> And and there's kind of a lengthy pause, and then something kind of incomprehensible about uh, he lived on the West Coast, and he's kind of a deadbeat. But then we moved back here. But then my mom's also a deadbeat. Just thought you should know. I this bothers that. me. <laughs> this bothers me because he said we were living on the West Coast. You're still fucking living on the yeah, West yeah, Coast. Yeah, yeah, You're just you're living a little bit in the West Coast. Yeah, like. like I, he probably means California or no, something. No, I know he does, like, but he's but that's still not what literally he says. on the West Coast. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not what he says. Um, and also, like, he, he basically goes through this big dramatic thing to go, oh, I lied to you about what's going on with my parents. First of all, don't really know why he's been doing that. He doesn't really give much of an explanation other than, like, my home life sucks and I'm kind of embarrassed about it. Fine. Yeah. And... Donna, whose whole deal right now is trying to crack through these lies that uh, her best friend, essentially, or supposedly her best friend told her that led to Laura's death, is just like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, go. Cool. Good. I accept this. Yes, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, that you've okay, been so lying to me, like, forever, and that's fine. <laughs> fine. I'm still going to make out with you. Yeah, and again, it's really gross and awkward. Um, I... I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this information. I It feels like, oh, like we're really breaking down the barriers. We're advancing as a couple. But we already know the Maddie distraction has been thrown in for James here. And also, all it really does is kind of just make him look shitty because he's been like, here's a plot point we haven't talked about at all in the show yet. I've been lying to you, but now I'm not anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? why even bring this out? I, I don't really but also, know. like... Yeah, okay, I understand your point about, like, her not wanting to be lied to and this and that, but, like, also, who gives a fuck about any of this information? It's not like, like, it's like, it's not like he's like, I've been lying to you, I'm sleeping with fucking Dean or something. Like, right, right. like, and like, it literally makes no difference at all. Like, it makes no difference, and it's um, not, and I'll spoil it and say this barely comes back in the future. I don't even There's, remember it coming back. It I mean, kinda, I remember them talking about it in the context of some stuff that happens with James later on. But like, again, it's all off screen. None of this stuff ever shows up on screen. None of it's ever important to the plot. Well, that's my point though, is like, okay, like, did they have some conversation somewhere that we're supposed to know about where he's like, oh, my mom and dad are um, like, actually like this, like they're dead. And like, like, I don't remember that even happening. I do try to filter a lot of the James stuff out. Yeah. So uh, it's just yet another time that James seems like a piece of shit <laughs> like every move they make that's supposed to make us sympathetic to him is like no he still sucks in fact he sucks more now that i know this <laughs> yeah it's yeah. It, the james project is forever a failure um but we've got a lot more to come with our friend james <laughs> yeah there's a lot with james and we have barely scratched the surface of the delight that is the james yes, yes. <laughs> um um, we move back to more of the police procedural stuff going on at the apartment. Uh, this is where I made this note. Who the fuck are these other cops that are yeah. here? Like, where have these guys 
And, he, and Coop is flipping through Flesh World. Yeah. As, yeah, as, as we all do when we're on duty at our jobs. And he goes, yeah, here it is. And he makes his face. And I'm like, is he about to just like whack off in front of all of these cops? He's like, yeah. It wouldn't be too out of character for him. It really wouldn't. I'm sure he would be like, this is how I figure out more clues or whatever. Yeah. Um, but... But this scene is important because this is the Cooper's dreams part of this sh- this episode, and it's just this one fucking little thing where uh, he's like, "See this picture? That's like almost incomprehensible and pretty much like black and white. Uh, that's Laura, because in my dream there were red drapes." So that's her. Yeah, it's like the most JPEG like image of all time. It's like sure it's not even in color. It's like, like it, yeah, it's it's really weird. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like dark faded. So like it's almost black and white, but there's like kind of little bits of like kind of like crappy newspaper. The way the photos look on that, like yeah. it kind of looks like that. Which, to be fair, probably is what that kind of magazine would look like. But it it's still like. The image is almost incomprehensible, and Cooper's like, oh yeah, I saw this in my dream, so we're on the right track. And <laughs> and we're like, oh, oh God. God. <laughs> There you go. Horrifying. I love Horrifying. it. I want four of them. Um, <laughs> and set your plate in the middle on the wall. Yeah. Um, digitize it for your Animal Crossing house. Yes, my um, Animal Crossing Red Room is coming along. It looks very nice. I'm also going to include that in the video. I downloaded the image earlier. Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, um, this is uh, the scene where he goes, Harry, you're all right. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's so um, like, supportive, but also condescending. Yeah, he's really strange, and it's it's another point at which Cooper goes, oh, I saw this in a dream, so this is definitely Laura, even though you can't make out any other details in this photo. And everybody on the police force is like, yeah, okay, that's a, yeah. that's a picture. She's like an elbow, and he's like, oh, yeah, and, yeah. And I can fact, buy it. In fact, not only do they accept this as fact, but they're like, yeah, okay, well, then we need to immediately deploy to the woods with guns to find this cabin. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> oil, cabins, it all makes sense. Like, yeah. they have this whole, like, oil conversation. I'm like, Sure. And for absolutely no reason, we're going to take the doctor with us. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what they get up to in a few minutes here. I think here we cut to where I'm reporting from on location at the moment, <laughs> uh, the double R. Um, and we show up there and we've got... First of all, we see somebody at the jukebox. It's Harry, uh, <laughs> aka Dingus, Dingus as, as named <laughs> by Colleen. And but we, he's not important in the scene yet. We pan from him to uh, uh, you know the typical James, Donna, and uh, now Maddie Scooby Gang meet up at the uh, Double R. Uh, James is like, "Oh, do you want me to like buy you a drink?" And Maddie goes, I would love to get a cherry coke. And he's like, Yeah, man, I'm right on. And he gets up and he goes, He like, gets up with such urgency. Yeah, that we with have super not urgency. Seen from and, and we see it's the first that we see Donna seeing this weird he's like, J- uh, James and Maddie thing. She's kind of like, By the way, she never touches this coke. When they leave this scene, the coke is still 100% full. Man, they never she, do. She totally makes this guy buy her a drink and then just doesn't even touch it. Amazing. Um, so 
do you want to pick up here a little bit, Colleen? Um, sure. Okay. So they're talking about Laura and this, this frustrates me. And I mentioned this in another episode that we did, but, um, they're talking about Laura and they're like, we think she has secret hiding spots. And like, can you find, like, can you root around her room and whatever, find her secret hiding spots? And Maddie has this whole speech about how, uh, oh, we were close, but we were not really close. But like we talked on the phone all the time, and and I'm like I don't understand. Were you close or were you not close? Because like she's like I didn't really know a lot about her, but we spent every summer together, and we were close, but we weren't close. But I talked to her a lot, and I've thought about her all the time. It's like yeah, we were so close that I relationship. Psych- she, she's like we were so close that I psychically knew she had passed away when she died. She claims at the beginning of it, like she doesn't use those terms, but she says, I felt her death or something like that because we were so close. And then she immediately says, but you know, we didn't really see each other that often. And it's like, well. they, like last <laughs> time they did the same thing where it was this like weird, like, oh, we were like thick as thieves, but uh, never talked to each other. It's like, yeah. can't be both. that's not a thing. Yeah. I, there is a greater theme with Laura where the people who think they know her don't know her that well. And that like comes off well in most situations. You kind of get yeah, it. Like she a has legit a, yeah, thing. yeah. She she has like however much James sucks. Like the thing where James has one vision of her and she's actually somebody different makes sense, particularly when we get to the prequel movie and so forth. Um and you know, the same thing going on within her family, which gets complicated. The same thing going on uh, with Donna to a degree, although Donna knows more at this point than she's telling anybody. Um, and the whole deal with, uh, you know, Dr. Jacoby and him thinking he really seems to understand what's going on and he doesn't really have all the pieces either. We'll meet some other characters who sort of knew her as we go along here. Um, it's a recurring theme that people who think they know Laura don't know her. But this thing with Maddie just straight up doesn't make sense. Where she's like, it's like, they, <laughs> it's like they're trying to shoehorn that idea in. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. people who knew her don't know her. But like, we don't need anybody. We don't to need it because they've actually say it. they've actually pulled it off relatively well with some of the characters, and they continue to pull it off well with some of the other characters. But it just comes off as incoherent with the Maddie thing. And yeah, I don't I think, like anything about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it also serves to sort of lampshade this weird thing where Maddie looks exactly like her, and it's like, is she some kind of, like, doppelganger or some sort of, like, when you're watching this through the first time, it's really kind of hard to figure out what Maddie's deal is. And to be honest, having watched it multiple times, I still feel like I don't really know what Maddie's whole deal is. So I think maybe they're trying to, like, breadcrumb a little bit of mystery in there around that, but it just yeah, comes off as not making sense. We've talked before about how there's a lot of like doubles and mirrors yeah. and opposites. And we're going to talk a lot, lot more about that. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm feel like this is like a deliberate like double sort of thing. I right. do it's like a little breadcrumb situation, but they just didn't do this character well at all. In no, no. Um, we'll see how they resolve that as we go on. Um, but I, I wrote multiple times in this that she didn't drink any of the coke. I just yeah. could not stop fixing. I always that. noticed that. <laughs> Uh, so they, after having this, like, very serious conversation in public, which seems to be James's favorite fucking thing to do, is have, like, super secret conversations in, like, the most populated areas of town, um, 
they get up to leave in in an awkward hurry that doesn't really make any sense. And the camera pans to Hank, uh, who is back at his table and playing with that domino that he like drew this super like hilariously detailed illustration of that, and then psychically knew Josie received his letter yeah 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 <laughs> and then called her anyway like that whole weird thing um we've got him playing with the domino again and then who comes through the door but uh Norma and Shelly have made good on their promise to have their day of beauty I guess we know why Norma had to gas up her car earlier in the day now. <laughs> uh, they look fantastic. And I have just tweeted a picture, and I would like to know why we do not have an entire episode dedicated to this girl. I, want the, I, I said this on the last episode. I want the Day of Beauty bottle episode. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want it. Good relief from some of these bozos like James and Hank and They Leo look great. And, and you cannot convince me that they did not draw from this that office scene with Phyllis <laughs> and Rashida Jones, who oh. is Norma's daughter in real yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, that's that funny. They didn't I didn't draw even draw that. that connection, but that's really funny. I'm <laughs> telling you, I, I don't have... I got to find the picture of, of, uh, of yeah, that, that, but that I, will, in, I will thread it with the other picture. Yeah, I just tweeted. It'll go in the video. Um, Hank is just, like, creeping real hard. You can... When Shelly and Norma walk up and see that he's there, it's like the air is immediately sucked out of the room. Like, they're, they're super lifted, early 90s haircuts, like, go, boo, <laughs> cartoonish. Like, <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> uh, and then he does his, <laughs> the performance of his character in the scene is actually kind of funny to me because he does this really dramatic thing that we know he's bullshitting. Like, it's just the vibes are so strong coming off him. But he goes, like, you know, I know that you don't like me right now, Shelly, but I intend to earn my way back into your heart and be an honest man. Which Norma. We know is, yeah, or no, Norma, sorry. And which we know isn't true. Like he's already, before he, literally before he got out of jail, he was already mailing vague, threatening letters to other people. So <laughs> right. it's like- that's With hyper-realistic- <laughs> Domino illustrations. Able game yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, why couldn't he just be an illustrator somewhere? Hank, you have the talent. Like, let's do this. Um, but he's like, I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll work at the diner. Like, I'll be good. And she's like, you can start by washing dishes. And he's like, whoa, hey, I'm on coffee break. Uh, I'm going to finish my coffee. Yeah, you're gonna <laughs> I had an errand to run. Yeah, I got, uh, never mind. I can't. I, I, I actually can't do that. And then Shelly gives this look from the back that looks like a combo of uh, that asshole and also fuck, am I going to be out of a job now because this dickhead is washing the dishes? <laughs> Just ruining lives left yeah. and right. Um, then we segue actually into this scene ends with an invitation to love scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. This They're like <laughs> watching it in the, in the dishwasher. Invitation to love. It's one of the less interesting invitation to love clips, but man, I love the outfit of this guy who's beating the shit out of Dexter on this. He's got like, <laughs> he's like wearing like this super like like purple bandana thing that's like tied as just like a headband around his head and like big ass sunglasses and he's like just a super 80s villain looking guy like he's a background character in Escape from New York or something and he's just like punching the shit out of Dexter there's no real context to it uh he's just beating the crap out of him it rules he calls Dexter a fruit loop which yeah. is like probably intended to be a slur but uh like it's also just so silly that it, so silly. it just 
doesn't even really come off that way. I don't know. It's it's a really weird little clip. Um, let's see. We cut to a family therapy uh, situation with um, with the family Briggs uh, at Jacoby. The major course. at all. Yeah. <laughs> the major, that incredibly bizarre mother character and Bobby. Mrs. Now. Major is what yeah. I wrote. I still Mrs. to major. this day have not figured out or even bothered to look up her name. I mean, maybe that is her name. It might anyway. be. Anyway. Um, gotta go change it on the Twin Peaks wiki, like, right now. Um, let's see. So, I don't, I kind of, I'm not sure where to start. There's a lot that's going on in this scene. There's a lot that happens in this scene. They're, they're having a family therapy session with Dr. Jacoby, the only therapist in all of the Washington state. (laughs) Um, and Bobby is, like, all curled up in the chair, like, I don't want to do this. I'm a teenager. So, um... And there's a lot happens here. They're basically like, you know, expressing their concerns about Bobby. I didn't write anything specific down. I'm not sure if you did, but. Um, um, they're just, they're sort of, they're kind of framing it as normal teenager stuff because they don't really know the depth of the shit that he's involved in at the moment. So they're like, right. he's moody, he's in his room, he's not showing up to class, all of which things are true, but all of which also miss the greater point of like, he's found himself ancillarily involved in drug running. He's like, you know, his girlfriend is dead and there's a lot of other stuff going on with him that we haven't even really gotten out. They, I don't think they seem to have any sense of his deal with Shelly and that whole thing. And Yeah, they probably- never, um, they never seem to show any signs of knowing about that at all, um, uh, especially with all the stuff about Laura's um, funeral. You know, like, there was a lot of, like, oh, I know you're sad that your girlfriend died. So, like, I don't think anyone really knows about Shelly and Bobby except maybe Norma. Right, yeah. Um, There's this thing that happens here that's actually a kind of oddly woke moment for an early 90s television show where uh, Bobby says something about, like, what are you talking about how I'm acting like you've killed people before? And the major's like, that was during wartime. And Bobby's like, it doesn't matter. It's not different to kill people during war. He still (laughs) killed people. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> there's a lot of weird woke moments around the the Briggs because the major yeah. before was like it's it's not uh, seen as normal for men to emote, but I yeah. want you to. So it's yeah, 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 yeah. a strange sort of thing. Yeah, it's like this weird running theme between them and that family. Uh, so eventually, kind of like after that killing people thing, they kind of blow up, and Jacoby's like, uh, "Everybody get out of the room. I'm going to talk to Bobby." Um, and they're all like, what? It's family therapy. And Jacoby kind of like really awkwardly is like, uh, no, I, I definitely am going to talk to everybody individually eventually. It's clear he's more interested in getting to this Laura thing. So he's like, he's like trying to usher them out so he can talk about that with Bobby. Um, and is just kind of bullshitting his way into that situation. And then he gets real gross with how he interrogates Bobby about the Laura thing. Gross on a couple of different levels. Uh, First of all, Jacoby has not heard of uh, client-patient confidentiality before, (laughs) or rather uh, doctor-patient confidentiality. He just straight up is like pulling details from stuff that Laura must have told him at some point. It's really odd. (laughs) He starts asking about what happened the first time you guys had sex. He's like, uh, did you cry when you made love? And it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 
It's like so uh, gross, and he's also like, probably not. <laughs> Have you? Do you know Bobby at all? Yeah, yeah, and he's like, he's like, I know Laura was bad, and you're bad too. She tried to make you bad to be like with her, and like Bobby just kind of like victim sobs into the corner, which is what he does whenever the stakes get really high for him. <laughs> um, he just kind of, I, I love the consistency of the Bobby character. He's like such an asshole, but he's like, you always know he's always going to play to the way he behaves. He's well written in the sense that he feels like, I understand why he does the things he does, even in absurd situations like this. Um, he's very consistently drawn and performed. Um, I don't know. Do you want to say anything else about this uh, scene? Well, yeah, he, he says that Laura made him sell drugs. Yes. And then he like breaks down, right? Which I think is an important line. Yes, that's but an other... important thing that he's yeah. admitting it directly to somebody at this point, not yeah. somebody who matters. He's he's admitting it to Jacoby, who is has shown questionable at best judgment up to this point. But um, there it is. <laughs> he's saying it somewhere. Okay, so we move on there to. Uh, well, we move out to the woods, and yeah. the strategy the police have come up with to attempt to find this cabin in, is just to, from what I can tell, draw their guns and wander around aimlessly in the woods with Doc Hayward, like, limping along on a giant walking stick behind them. I, I cannot figure out what the fuck they think they're doing in this scene it doesn't make any sense they see a house and they just see any house it doesn't look like the one in the picture and they're like well we need to figure out what this is anyway and they draw their guns and start sneaking up and it's you'll want to talk about log it. lady's yeah, house it's a log lady's but, house okay i'm to believe that they don't know where the log lady lives right. like they, they act like oh like they know who the log lady is she's part of the community she regularly shows up in town and like they didn't look at the address or anything they just see a random house and they're like oh yeah draw guns so they come out with their heads up but there's like a few cabins in these woods right so right. they don't ever think to themselves oh yeah over near where the log lady lives yeah, like yeah. It's yeah, it's so, so weird. weird. It doesn't make any sense. And she goes, when she pops out, she's like, come in, you're late. And then everybody just like kind of shrugs and like walks into the house. Yeah, like like a, like, stop what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eat cookies and yeah. drink some tea with the fucking log lady. Sugar cookies. She wants them to come in so the owls won't see. Yes. So and uh, I wrote, the more. boys are in the woods, baby. That's what I wrote. <laughs> I, I like this scene because, without getting too much into it, uh, spoiler-wise, I like, she, she has the guy sit down and she gives him you know, tea, cookies, whatever. And Hawk says, thanks, Margaret, which I think is nice because that's kind of the first time he addresses her directly in the show, which comes back in a major yeah. way. 9,000 episodes from now, <laughs> yeah. but I have a, a big soft spot for for Margaret and for the um, the, uh, the Hawk-Margaret the dynamic. between them. So, yeah, I agree, and that will come back later. Um, I, I also would, like, I also like that Cooper, like, reaches for something and she slaps his hand and Hawk's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like, so, 
I really, there's a lot with Coop going on in the scene that I really like. Coop is very off his game here. And I think it's a combination of this idea that he's tired and crotchety today. And also the fact that he is not used to being not the most powerful, weird, mystical weirdo in the room at any given time. You know, Margaret is speaking in riddles and she has this sort of like pseudo prophetic stuff that she's telling them. And Coop feels, looks hesitant about it in a way that like, all the other characters are, you know, we see them eat up Coop's bullshit in this, aw, shucks, really? Well, okay, if you say so, way. And they give her the same kind of deference. And Coop seems a little challenged to not be the guy doing that in this scene. He's, like, hesitant to come in. He, like, gets admonished for her by her for trying to take the cookies before the tea's ready. He's, like, very quiet as this stuff transpires. It's a really I interesting bit of character out of him. I think it's nice that he's not mean to her. Yeah. Because before he was mean, yeah, like in mean that first her. or second episode, he was just like, whatever, she talks so fucking long. And it's like, bro, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, where yeah. do you even get off? Yeah. But, um, I, I think that might be part of it too. Is like he's finding a respect where she's suddenly like, there's something going on with her that's kind of, you know, that's that's kind of mysterious, that's kind of powerful. And like he kind of maybe gets it now, you know? Yeah, um, it's implied that her log saw something the night, something significant the night mm-hmm. that Laura was killed, and it's uh, heavily implied that her husband, who died the day after they were married in a fire, is like the spirit of the log. The spirit whatever. of the log, or somehow involved in whatever process is going on yeah. there. Um, There's a before we get into this, and I actually looked up the script for this scene because her speech about what happens is, is way too much for me to write down. Right, yeah. Um, and, and so I want to get to that, but there is a fly circling and crawling on Coop's cup, which I'm sure is not intentional, but I immediately honed in on it during this whole scene, and I could not stop looking at this fly. You know like, Lynch did, so- too. He was, Great! <laughs> that's, that's part of the scene now. That's the most important character in the story. It's really an interesting. So, like, I just noticed it, and, like, I didn't take a screenshot or anything, because I think it's, like, not worth that. But, um, but it's just something I noticed, and, like, of course, once I noticed something, like, that's it. You know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so uh, I don't know if you want to speak a little bit of it, because I'm going to pull up the speech while you... Well, I think maybe I'll, I'll let you get to that before I get a lot farther with this. I just, a lot of the stuff that the log lady says is very image-based, very mysterious. It's pretty typical of how she speaks. Uh, some of it will be recognizable to us at this point. Some of it is sort of laying in some ideas that we're going to learn more about later. Um and of course the cops draw out the one obvious thing from it and are like, oh, we're geniuses. We're gonna pursue this trail of clues now. <laughs> um, so I, I don't think there's a lot more to say without the verbiage itself. Okay, I'm gonna just read real quick what she actually says. She, she says, you can ask it now, meaning Coop can ask the log what it saw the night that, that Laura died, so. Um, he says, what did you see that night, the night Laura Palmer was killed? And she says, Dar- oh, this, is, this is her interpreting the log. Dark, laughing, the owls were flying, many things were blocked, laughing, two men, two girls, flashlights in the woods passed by over the ridge. 
The owls were near. The dark was pressing in on her. Quiet then, a gentle wind, footsteps. Later, one man passed by, all quiet, screams far away. Terrible, terrible. One voice, and then Cooper says, man or girl. And she says, girl, further up, over the ridge, the owls were silent. So obviously this is um, supposedly what happened when, when both Laura and Ronette were it's suggesting that they were together when they were attacked, obviously, and yeah. um, it's suggesting, you know, there were two men with them. And, and, and the third one came later, and yeah. then one person goes, that's Ronette! Yeah, obviously it's Ronette. <laughs> we <laughs> like, know that. Ronette, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what, we'll, we'll find out the details about that later, but what the cops draw out of that is, oh, okay, over the ridge. Got it. The ridge. So they like walk over this hill and again. Or ridge if you were. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, do this thing where like, see a cabin, draw down on it with guns. Like that's what you do. Um, but they're right this time. <laughs> yeah. Look, so, after a while, you're going to run out of cabins. And yeah, especially right in Twinkies. Yeah. So they, they bust into this cabin and it's like this dungeon setting. It's very genuinely kind of disturbing like a lot of a lot of times it's sort of like you see the serial killer house it's like kind of overdone or whatever it feels like it feels just the right amount of gross like i hate it in here i don't want to be here i don't want these people to be here i don't want the show to be here yeah Um, it's i kind of just skimmed over i wrote lots of clues wallow the bird which as we know like there were bird marks on laura um so they find the yeah. bird, they find blood at the scene. Yeah. Um, there's like camera equipment, there's uh, the red drapery that Cooper keeps seeing in his dreams. Uh, I like it's like all this important stuff, and I wrote lots of clues. Well, ultimately, the police procedural element is the least interesting part of this yeah. show, even though it is like where the basis of the plot comes from. Um, we, uh, while the police poke around, we cut to a gala at the Great Northern for uh, the new Marks for the Ghostwood Estate, the Icelandics who are visiting. Um, Jerry is doing this like truly horrifying Pepe Le Pew routine on this uh, very, very tall Icelandic woman. <laughs> um, it is just absolutely the skeeviest thing ever. And like, it's done to a like you're supposed to think it's cartoonishly gross kind of thing, but it's like I I do not I would prefer not to see this on my television. Yeah, I don't. This is not <laughs> you really need. Yeah, um, we we do get uh, Pete and Catherine Martell showing up. Catherine's dedication to getting shit faced, but only on sparkling wine, is pretty impressive. She's just like, like sparkling rosé too. So yeah, I yeah. hate her completely. Yeah. She's like just doing them like they're shots. It's pretty incredible. Um, she uh, she gets a little sauced, and she goes and she bugs Ben Horn, uh, who we know they're having the affair with, and whatever double, triple, quadruple dealing is going on with the Ghostwood Estates, which we'll get a tiny bit more info on here. Um, they She's... oh, go ahead. Go ahead. They like bicker, and she slaps him, and then gets immediately like the most horny you've ever seen. 
which, which is consistent with what their dynamic has been yes, up to this point. But, but it's just like enough. I don't but, want their yeah, yeah. But but what I I do want to draw attention to is Audrey's doing her uh, like detective work, and she's gone back in that weird little crawl space that conveniently seems to have a view into every important room in the yeah. uh, Great Northern Hotel. And it's the uh, magic of Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah exactly. And. Uh, from the twisted vision of David Lynch comes this crawl space, which goes by every room in this hotel. Um, she's like looking in on this interaction between them. And I wrote, I'm guessing Audrey wasn't really hoping to watch her dad bone down in this crawl space. Yeah, right now. she gets then, kind of upset about it. Well, she does eventually, but at first she's like laughing. She's like, oh, I've got this shit over my dad. And then it sort of escalates into this gross, horny stuff. And she's like, <laughs> so it, like, she's like, out. yeah, I got him. Oh, I don't want to have him that much. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I want that part of it. Um, so after they tryst, they return to the main gala to find that Leland has taken it upon himself to show up. And the minute he starts hearing <laughs> music, begins to do his like wailing awful sad, sad, dance. sad, sad dad dance. dancing and we get another one of these great lines in this show where uh, <laughs> as Leland or rather as Ben and Catherine walk in on this happening Ben just tells her dance with him it <laughs> is serious <laughs> because he's afraid that it's going to uh viral it's going to like ruin yet another one of his deals about this ghost with estate thing is um, drinking a giant thing of milk here? Because I wrote big thing of milk. I didn't notice and then that, I wrote but heat. that's hilarious. I don't big know, thing I of drinking. milk. I was heat. drinking when I watched this. So. Is a big thing of milk. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, Pete, that big glass of milk. Um, there is a man in the scene. I am about to tweet it out. Who has the hair? Hands down, the worst hair I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, hands down, worse than Audrey's. Yeah. By a long shot, it's like very on purpose. Like, yeah, know, it's like a you... very, it's a it's a harsh haircut. So it's like there's no way it was a mistake. Yeah, yeah, I no. To look like this. Yeah, that or that is then, a life choice he made at some point. The actor, I, and I don't know. About that. I can't support it. I'm yeah. Sorry. Um. So Catherine joins in this insane dance with Leland to try to like make it like oh it's see we're dancing on purpose it's a party keep the party yeah, going yeah he's going and, like oh and, and she, she's like yeah yeah she does she, <laughs> she does an amazing job of like portraying <laughs> like kind of sarcastically kind of seriously kind of drunkenly <laughs> trying to recreate whatever the hell it is he's doing out of <laughs> but then it's contagious because everyone's like yeah and they do the same like, weird dance <laughs> yeah we're doing this we're dancing um, cut to Josie Packard is smoking in slow-mo for some reason in the yeah. dark like a boss. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. She can do whatever she wants in my and, opinion. And what we get out of this is Leland peels off from the party again. Or I'm sorry, Leland. Ben pulls off from the party again to meet up with Josie in a different room, presumably. And they start exchanging information. Uh, she He advised her on how to fish out the crooked ledger that Catherine was holding. So right. now it kind of seems like Ben is maybe playing 
uh, Catherine as well. Maybe he's in on this with Josie. Maybe he sees an opportunity to better his deal. We don't quite know yet. Ben has his, uh, what's the term? He's got his hands in many whatevers. Yes, <laughs> in many whatevers. <laughs> a lot of different honestly, whatevers. Honestly, I know there is a term for that. Like, oh, he's got his, his hands in love. Yeah. No, but but it's very appropriate but, uh, but for this. But for this show, <laughs> given that he he's has like, his hands in many whatevers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the purposes of this show, a lot of deals, a lot of women, a lot of businesses, a lot of oh. just very strange stuff going on. <laughs> Lots of stuff happening on this show. Um, uh, um, and Audrey sees this all coming down. She starts crying. Whatever, I don't care. Um, we cut to the Palmer house while all this is happening or, or not. Who knows? The timeline on the show is out of control. Um, like how long is Maddie even in Twin Peaks? Is it like five days or is it 17 months? I don't know. Um, but she's sneaking around to find like Laura stuff. Oh, like we're moving on. Like, were you done with this? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm done with that scene. Okay, good. Uh, I didn't think there was much more yeah. involved, but she's around but she has like legitimately the biggest slippers on known to man she's got these like she's got these like bear claw slippers like like you know they look like a bear's feet or whatever and she's like <laughs> like i have a pair of pokemon like pikachu slippers and mm-hmm. you can't like you can barely walk in them because they're so big and goofy like i never wear them i just like got them for my birthday one year or whatever and uh and like i'm like she could be barefoot and it would be so much easier on her to be sneaky like it just seems cumbersome and it, and it was something that struck me as very bizarre um but then she you know she like zooms around she finds some stuff and she calls donna um yeah see this time they didn't have to send a note a mysterious night right for whatever reason this time they used the telephone like human beings do <laughs> Yeah, um, it's, yeah, she just calls and she's like, hey, let's meet up about this. Like, it's not, I mean, cool. Yeah, I don't want to lose the detail in the scene because she's like, ah, yes, I suddenly remembered that when we were like little girls, she hid cigarettes in this one weird compartment inside the bed frame or something like that. She's like, it's, it's another one of these things with Maddie where she's like, I don't know her very well but I know where she hides her most secret possessions ever. But also, like, oh, I suddenly remembered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, How would you forget that? That would be the only thing I would ever think of. Would be like, oh yeah, she has that compartment. That's like, that's not a thing you Yeah, forget. like at the diner, they were like, we think she had some secret hiding places. And Maddie was like, secret hiding places? What? And then they like, cut to the house and she's like, I remembered that I knew Laura's <laughs> secret hiding place. <laughs> so bizarre. It's a weird little scene. Um, we cut from there to Hank beating Leo up. Beating the shit out of Leo. It's this awesome. Rules. Yeah. <laughs> it fucking sucks, but it is but so Leo satisfying. But Leo beat out of him? Oh. oh <laughs> I watch it all day long. Yeah. It's it, so good. It's really funny because Leo pulls up to, uh, um, pulls up to the house his house where Shelly's at, obviously, and gets out really quickly and starts grabbing like big bunch of like barrels of looks like gasoline containers or something out of like a compartment under the 
a like porch or something. It's a really strange. He like reaches into something and starts pulling out all these containers of gas. We probably assume it has something to do with the Ghostwood estate and the planned arson, but we don't get that right away. We just see right. Leo grabbing this stuff out. And then Hank out of nowhere just just appears and just starts punching the dog shit out of him. It fucking rules. Like I, <laughs> Fuck man. <laughs> yeah, it's so like I mean I hate Hank, but like also like yeah, I support him in this scene. Yeah, I'm I'm on his side here. Hank is like one of the worst characters, just like oh he's awful in terms of he's a bad guy and just the quality of his character sucks. But like it, this this is his best scene. This is his hero moment. Yeah, he has um, peaked, and it's gonna be just all shit from here on in. But at yeah. least it was a good one. Uh, the dialogue implies to us that they work together in the past and he's pissed that Leo has continued doing uh, naughty deeds without cutting him back in on the deal. So uh, again, we don't have exactly where this is going yet, but we can see, we can see the writing on the wall a bit here with Hank and what he's about to get back involved with. Um, so after that, Leo then comes into the house. He's not in great shape because he just got his skull rocked and Shelly's like, uh, oh, Leo, let, what happened? And he's like, shut up and give me a damn beer, Shelly. <laughs> I need beer right now! Yeah. I need a beer! Uh, ah! So she pulls her, like, her, like, Penelope pit stop pistol out and, like, <laughs> aims it at him. And he's like, yeah, right, you're not going to shoot me. And then she, like, closes her eyes and shoots, which is how you know not to shoot somebody in real life. Um, and then we cut away from there before we can see what actually has taken place. You see like a it's, lampshade like swing around. It's, it's the light swinging yeah, yeah. from the ceiling fan. Oh no, I mean, it's the light swinging. And this reminds me of Laura's ceiling fan. Yes. Like, like a very, I don't know if, it, I mean, I always assume things are intentional here, but it was the very same sort of vibe of like focusing on, on like an appliance or something while something terrible is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I thought was a cute, like a nice, I didn't almost say cute. It's not cute at all. Uh, like a nice parallel between yeah, the two. Because yeah. we don't get almost any Shelly Laura dynamic. Yeah. And it's hard in fact, to I would I would argue that we don't get any except for like a couple scenes in the movie. Yeah. So it's just kind of a nice little Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I think it, it's one of those things where with Lynch, it's a little tough to know sometimes what's intentional and what's he just threw in because it happened because yeah. he does both of those things. But especially in this show and this series, um, whenever you see something happen twice, it's on purpose. Like, they, yeah. it, you know, they don't call it three peaks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, three peaks, none the richer. Um, we move from that scene, unless you've got more you want to talk about there. No, 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 that's it. Um, I mean, she shoots him, we'll see what happens. We, we move from that to Cooper getting back to the Great Northern, this rager that <laughs> Leland he and is Kathy so mad. is still going on, and he's like, oh, fuck. Like, he's coming back to his room, and his door is propped open, so he's like, oh, I gotta be Mr. Policeman really quick, and for like the umpteenth time this episode draws his gun and kicks open a door for no reason and uh then there is a seemingly nude audrey in his bed and she's like don't make me leave and he's like oh and we we're done with the episode we're done that's the end of the episode um, and this is what i drew when that happened only two. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. I'm glad, I'm glad we have that for the video. Um, <laughs> I, I it, it actually strikes me, I, I forgot that it ended when we started this, I forgot that it ended right on that moment of her being in the hotel room. Yeah. And it really drives home Matt's point from earlier where it feels almost like they shot this and the episode ended that way on the edit and somebody at the studio was like, you gotta, you gotta say that she's not a high schooler now. If this is Please shoehorn yeah. in a scene. And so, they, so they went back for reshoots of that morning scene where he's like, where they look like directly at the camera and they're like, how old are you? I am 18 years old. I am I'm 18 to the audience at home when I say 18 years old. This is me breaking the fourth yeah, yeah, wall. Yeah, yeah. You, the viewer, <laughs> needs to know I am 18. Yeah. Okay. I must bone now. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> right that's the now. end of the episode. That's how it that's ends. That's the end of the episode. So, um, um, yeah, I don't know. We, uh, so, before we, we do wrap up business, uh, I did double check with Matt during our pause that we have a producer's co corner segment this time. Yes, yeah, producer's corner. First of all, um, Betty Briggs. Betty Briggs. Betty Briggs. Yes. Um, but Chris pointed out, as we were discussing during a break, uh, not can't confirm if that was ever said on the show. But I think it probably yes. was, but I feel like nobody would know unless they looked up the supplementary material. Right. Or books. <laughs> That's I what know, Wikipedia is for. Yeah. I know that I have mentioned almost every episode, like, does this woman have, have a name? So, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure at this point they still haven't yeah, said it. Hasn't it. Right. Yeah. Um, and also, I thought it would be interesting since, you know, we're all checking in with each other um, in quarantine to see what David Lynch is doing in quarantine. Oh, boy. Uh, so Vice has an interview with him, and I can't, I'm not going to try to uh, Lynch impersonation. I should give this text over to Chris because he does a better one than I do. <laughs> uh, but he said, uh, my routine is pretty much the same as it was before. First, I get up and get a coffee. Me, I like to get going with a coffee right away. That's just the way it is with me. You know how in a hospital they put an IV in your arm? I pretty much have a drip going all day long. After that, I meditate and go to work. So <laughs> that is what Lynch is doing. And God bless him. God Lynch bless him. doing exactly what he does. <laughs> and he also said about the pandemic, uh, for some reason, we were going down the wrong path and Mother Nature just said, enough already. We've got to stop everything. <laughs> Which again yeah. is a very David Lynch, David Lynch. Very David kind of Lynch. thing to say. And um, can we argue with him? No, I can't. No, that's no, not. Yeah, no. the clean air in Los Angeles cannot argue. With I can see all. every mountain, it's and awful. I'm like, all right. This is, this is wild. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Uh, but um, but yeah, I don't know. So that's the episode. Um, we're hoping to be. We took a very long hiatus. The the holidays happened, and then personal stuff happened, and then the pandemic happened. So. Right. Uh, I'm glad to be back in the same things. I hope you guys are too. Um, you and Chris specifically is yeah, yeah, yeah. you in this situation. Um, I think this I thought you meant the listener. No, no, no. I hope the listeners are happy yeah. too. But like, it's nice to be finally back to doing no, this. Fuck the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> this us only. Um, the next episode, I'm hoping that our friend Sarah Nichols will be joining us. She asked to do episode seven way back. So, um, and she does have Zoom, so I'm hoping that uh, we can set that up sometime soon and, you know, get the everything posted uh, for our listeners. I kind of feel like YouTube would be up first before anything on the, on yeah. the services. But um, I do want to plug a couple of things because we never do. Plug so, a plug. Um, you can follow us at TP Logcasting um, on Twitter. We are... 
a staff that works for that runs Drunk Monkeys, which uh, just came out with our huge, it's like a triple issue, plus an anthology, um, our pop culture and cartoon anthology out this month in April. So I'm hoping people will go to drunkmonkey.us and check that out. Follow along on um, Drunk Monkeys web on Twitter. We have an Instagram. We have a Facebook. Who cares about that? Um, most of the action happens on Twitter and Instagram. So I'm hoping uh, people check it out because this issue, like, almost killed us. It's huge. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. So, uh, and the it's anthology too. Great. So it's definitely a lot to go through. And uh, I just think that I should plug it because people deserve their stuff to be it's a very our pop culture issues are so good and it's really great it's a high quality issue it's got a lot of stuff in it it's very yeah. worth checking out yeah um hopefully this podcast itself will be showing up in a couple different forms here matt and i both recorded so the hope is that it will see life as a video i'm gonna try to cut that together over the next week or so um and if nothing else we should have the audio recorded in the regular podcast to will result from it so um We'll see how the video thing goes. Maybe this is the way now. <laughs> Maybe. I love doing this. I'm hoping that it yeah, yeah. that Yeah, this was really good. It's nice to be able to see people. I hope that uh, anyone listening or watching is staying safe, uh, making the time to maybe check in video or phone-wise with their friends and loved ones that they can see right now. Uh, it definitely helps my sanity to see you guys and to um, you know, chat with people and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'm hoping everybody is just, you know, doing what they can to get through this. So, maybe rewatch Twin Peaks. You have the time now. So. Yeah, you have plenty of time to go watch the first six episodes and catch up on this podcast, <laughs> which, of course, it's very helpful for me to tell people on the podcast to catch up on the podcast. But you know what? <laughs> That's in the platforms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tweet it, too, for instant gratification. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's that. If anyone knows where to get that plate, fucking hit me up, man. I need <laughs> on it so bad. Get that plate. Ugh. So, and that's Twin Peaks Podcasting, episode six. That's it. I'm Colleen Carney Hefner. I'm Chris Pruitt. I'm Matt Guerrero. Matt Guerrero. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs> that was so good. I like that.